0: Hey guys, welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. Before we get into the Walter Yosser interview today, I actually want to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. Uh, it's a really great tool if we need to send off those files to your clients you're working with. Uh, you can create custom galleries, different folders uh, for whatever projects you're working on, and your clients can actually write notes on the photos and rate them. Um, I've been using it for about a month now. and really enjoy it. It's kind of this helped me keep everything organized in one spot and this kind of streamline my workflow. Uh, for years, I was using like WeTransfer and Dropbox, but with PicDrop, it was actually designed by a photographer, so they really know what you need, and I can't say enough about it, and actually with today's podcast, if you use the promo code PHOTOBANTER, you're going to get three months free when you sign up at PickDrop.com. so definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think, and remember to enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER and you'll get three months free when you sign up at PickDrop.com. so without further ado, we'll get into the Walter Yost interview here welcome to the photo banter podcast i'm your host alex Gagne, and on today's podcast i speak with legendary photographer walter yost jr walter has shot some of the most iconic sports photos of all time of athletes such as michael jordan tiger woods arnold palmer muhammad ali and lebron james to name a few Walter Yost got his start shooting for Sports Illustrated at the age of 17 and has contributed to the magazine for more than 58 years. Beyond shooting sports, Walter spent nearly four decades shooting the SI Swimsuit issue as well. Walter is just hands down one of my favorite photographers of all time, so it was an extreme honor to get a chance to interview him. And I also just have to give a big thank you out to photographer Kojiro Kino for helping put this interview together, I can't thank him enough. So I hope you guys enjoy this one, and thanks so much for listening. All right, well, Walter Yost Jr., um, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Um, It's a real pleasure. I've been a big fan of your work for years. And uh, I guess to start off, I was kind of curious, like, where you grew up and uh, how you kind of got into photography initially.
1: Well, uh, we can go right from the beginning. I was born in Temple, Texas, Cause my father was stationed there in the war. Then we moved to East Orange, New Jersey, uh, where I grew up. And my father was a musician, and he had a great interest in photography. And He was the one that introduced me to photography. And it started sort of quickly. I started shooting pictures in 1959. It's the first time I went to a sport to that with my father. So in November 59, we went to a New York Giants game in Yankee Stadium, came back to the house at East Orange, processed the film, and as someone once said, my future was unlocked. Wow. And basically a year and a half later, two weeks after I graduated East Orange High, I had my first paid assignment for Sports Illustrated.
0: Wow, that's pretty so, amazing. I was still say I still seventeen. <laughs> young. Um very that's, young. That's really cool though to hear you it sounds like your dad was pretty supportive of supportive of your photography from the get go, pretty much. Yeah, well he loved
1: photography, so he, you know it was something we shared together. You know, we would go to games together and shoot.
0: Mm. Oh, so your now, pro- he was very good at it. So he enjoyed shooting sports as well. Oh yeah.
1: Big sports fan from Brooklyn, Brooklyn Dodgers. You know, he loved sport.
0: Mm. And how did you kind of initially kind of get your foot in the door at SI? How did that kind of happen? Were you trying to get in? Well, you
1: know, there were a couple of sports magazines back then. There was Sport Magazine Mm -hmm. and Sports Illustrated. And I guess I was brash enough. I remember calling Sports Illustrated. I remember the phone number, Jetson 61212, Mm -hmm. of, of dialing it. And I looked in the masthead. Picture editors, and there was a guy named George, bloody bloodgood, and I said, uh, you "Walter know, well, uh I have a portfolio. Can I see you?" And he could—he he, he could hear. I was young mm-hmm. and nervous. He goes, so, "Do you have any nudes in that portfolio?"
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. no.
1: <laughs> so I took the train and the path and the subway into the city, and showed my portfolio, and he started to give me like spec assignments where you say, okay, go to Philadelphia. You know, your father will drive you and photograph a specific player. We'll give you the film. We'll process the film and we'll critique it. Mm. And later that year I started to work.
0: Wow. That's amazing. And at that point, did SI have already have staff photographers uh, at the, Oh night? yeah. Who were who some of the oh, yeah. guys you remember? The, the... greats. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Hi, Peskin, John Zimmerman, Mark Kaufman, Damn. Marvin Newman. You know, there were uh, photographers that I worshipped. Seeing the magazine, mm. and, and you know, we were a young crowd.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And what do you think it is that kind of drew you to sports from the get-go? What's kind of kept your interest in it for so long? You think? Well, I, I love
1: the athlete. I love the way athletes look. You know, I've always loved the way they move. I was always interested in, in movement. Even before I was a photographer, mm. I mean, I can almost see the way I moved when I would play ball. You know, form is important, and uh, I think I can talk to athletes. Mm. You know, people in specific business have a way to talk to them, like my father could talk to musicians. There was a, a whole sound of musicians talking to each other. And the athletes, you know, I know what makes them tick.
0: Mm. And uh, what do you kind of remember most from like your early days at SI? Is there anything kind of stick out? Because I think you you and Neil Leifer kind of came up around the same time, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, right? Yes, we were. Yeah, so there were a lot of things I remember. we were that young.
1: I remember the New York Press giving me a lot of problems. I specifically remember Neil Jim Drake was. Very good photographer. He was probably three or four years old when we were like 65 am 20. I just turned 22. And Neil was a year older and he looked like he was 17. I looked like I was 17. And mm. we got in LA and Neil got in a problem. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, you know, all the LA Time guys are there. What do these people think of Sports Illustrated hiring children? <laughs> You know, a lot of people resented. Really? I mean, I had a lot of problems, though, so, you know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was uh, it was an issue. And being accepted by the New York press, who treated you like garbage, that took a while. Mm. Long way to people.
0: Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it Do you feel like, were you that like kind of like, have you always been like a competitive person? Or do you feel like, it's more this kind of your love of photography that's kind of h- helped you be so successful. Was there a competitive aspect with other photographers starting out, you think, or not so much?
1: Well, I think we were all competitive uh, because we all wanted the same picture in the magazine. You wanted to be published. You wanted the cover. You wanted the open spread. Oh, yeah.
2: Mm.
1: No doubt. You know, Neil was very aggressive and very good. As with Drake and everyone they hired. But, you know, it's. He loved doing it also. Mm. I mean, you can't separate one way out the other. I mean, I don't think it's shooting that way anymore because I never really shoot against anybody.
0: Yeah, and early on, was there like a sports that you enjoyed photographing more than others I mean looking at your your early work it looked like you photographed a lot of baseball Um, I guess early on at SI what were kind of some of the things you were covering at the beginning I guess
1: yeah baseball was the starting point basically I thought that football game it was always baseball my father would we'd drive someplace or I'd take the trains into New York and go to Yankee Stadium or the polo grounds or the garden Um, I mean, one of the things I remember, boy, you know, in the, in the early 60s, middle 60s, you know, you just, you were just moving nonstop. I mean, I remember one week in particular, I was, one Saturday I was in Lubbock, Texas. God knows how I got there in 1965. <laughs> Next weekend, I was in East Lansing, Michigan. And it just, you just, you're like uh, the human FedEx package. Damn. You just kept moving and moving and moving and moving. But, you know, that, that was your life
0: you didn't think about it mm. that's a constant motion size just send you everywhere the shoot 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 and um oh, yeah. how did you kind of approach like photographing games um i know now you pretty much you shoot mostly portrait it looks like but back then when you're covering a game um obviously you're shooting film um what was your approach Were were you shooting a lot or were you just kind of picking your spots or how do you remember kind of covering games early on well, if you didn't have to edit the film,
1: you know, you, you shoot as much as needed. I wasn't some photographers they shoot everything just, you know, 13, 14 frames a second. Back then, it was four frames a second. And they shoot thousands and thousands of pictures. But each of us had sort of our natural amount of roles at a football game or a baseball game. You know, football could be 18 to 25 rolls or 15. It depends on the game. Depends if you have to cover the game or a specific player. Because you're covering a specific player. You don't really
0: care about much else. Mm. So it varied from job to job.
2: Mm.
0: And you were, were you primarily shooting, like, black and white or color film back then when you first started out?
2: Well,
0: well they started. Obviously, I started with black and white. But
1: mm-hmm. one of the things that made Sports Illustrated an exceptional magazine, where they were the first magazine you know, to life in them, a weekly magazine to have a game photograph in color on Saturday, get that film in New York somehow process it and be on the newsstands uh, by that Thursday, you know, the magazine would go to press on Sunday or Monday. Mm-hmm. So we switched to color very early. And, you know, my first color film when I was a kid was ASA 10, Kodachrome then 25 and 64. Then you started to get, High-speed actiChrome's, and but I shot mostly color.
0: Mm, no, it's amazing. And some of the photos I really love on your site. Um, you have some really cool photos of like baseball, and obviously you're, you're back then you're shooting action. But there's like some cool photos of like. Mets players like getting out of a cab, and this kind of players yeah. in the dugout, um, did you always just kind of know to photograph all those little moments or um, was it kind of action from the beginning, and then you kind of eventually kind of documented these other quieter moments, kind of or how did that kind of all come together?
1: Well, a lot of those great pictures are in spring training when you know, if you really watch baseball, especially spring training, almost nothing happens mm-hmm. you know. They spit, they scratch, they talk, they talk about golf, they they do nothing. And I spend a lot of time every year, a couple of spring training. I love spring training because you get very close to the players. Mm. No one really cares at that point. And baseball is the, the only sport I can take great photographs of nothing happening. Yeah. And great, great basketball, football. Usually, Something's taking place. But I think 80% of the greatest baseball I've ever shot, they're just standing around, mm. sitting, standing, signs, getting out of a taxi, sitting on a batting cage, smoking a cigarette. Yeah. I think at the girls in the stands.
0: Yeah. That, yeah. The interesting thing about like, sports or baseball or any sport really it's just like the parameters are the same it's like the same field every day so I'm always really interested in how photographers kind of like utilize that because the field doesn't change but just trying to find those like unique moments that are different from game to game you know
1: well I got got tired of what was happening on the field Mm -hmm. and I started to look around and see what else I could shoot and that's when I started to change photographer. I mean, in the eighties, I mean, I hope you get bored doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. You need to explore different ways to shoot Mm -hmm. and see. I mean, it was always sort of instinctual with me. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. This kind of go with your interests and what's kind of like inspiring, Mm -hmm. inspiring you in the moment. You know, always looking, but not always happening. Mm. Yeah, for sure. and, you know, one thing I was kind of interested about because obviously you get into photography because you love it and you want to take pictures. And was there ever like a conscious? Was it like a conscious decision? Like I'm gonna create sports is gonna be my niche and that's how I'm gonna make my living, or is it all this kind of happen organically? Because I, you know, you look at some photographers and they kind of do they try to they try to do everything. But with you, it seems like you really. You've you this covered every aspect of sports. Was that like ever a conscious decision for you, or this all kind of came together naturally? I guess
1: uh, there were really no conscious decisions. <laughs> I was so young, uh, you know. My parents were divorced, so you know, on, on my my mother's side of the family, they wanted to get me out of East Orange, which was they called the jungle. Mm. It was a tough, tough high school. And they wanted to send me to a, a St. Thomas Episcopal Boys School in Manhattan, which I didn't really want to go to. And my father, a tough New Yorker, he says he's not leaving East Orange High School because the real world is East Orange High School, not St. Thomas Episcopal Boys School. Mm-hmm. So I stayed there, and you know, when school was out, high school, I really hadn't applied to any colleges, and my mother came in the room. She goes, Walter, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, Mom, I'm going to be a photographer. She goes, how gauche, and walked out of the room. (laughs) Let me tell you, photography was not a very glamorous profession in 1961. No, you know, they all look like uh, Ouija. Okay. I know Ouija's a great photographer. Yeah, I know. You catch catch yourself an alley with Ouija, you'd be frightened. (laughs) That's the way the New York press looked.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And they're tough guys. They were were not coming in the front doors. No one was selling prints. No one was making any money. Yeah. And it became a much more glamorous profession, you know, mm-hmm.
0: 20, 25, 30 years down the line. Were you, were you a good student as a kid in school? Or did, did you not enjoy school?
1: I, uh, I loved East Orange High School, but I wasn't a, a good student, per se. You know, I was more of a, a clown. Mm-hmm. There's one way you don't get your butt kicked. Keep people smiling.
0: Yeah, science
1: high school get your butt kicked every day.
0: (laughs) That's pretty funny. Um, And you know, looking at some of your older work, uh, you actually photographed Aretha Franklin, James Brown, and I think Mm Jimi Hendrix. Um, I was kind of curious, what were those photos for, and how'd that kind of all come together for you? Well, you know, the the love of music.
1: I mean, something we haven't really touched on. Mm hear my father and I mean someone once asked me what can you not live without I'd say probably music mm. um, so I was I was 68 I was still living in East Orange or Orange and then I moved to the city in 1970 I started to, to freelance jobs for Atlantic Records who were based on Broadway and 53rd Street and their stable of artists was you know the great R&B stable Aretha, uh, Sam and Dave, uh, the Zeppelin, Stones, and, and had a lot of. Good, and I started working. I'd go to concerts and then try to sell the pictures. Mm-hmm. I used to work uh, for the Schaefer concerts in Manhattan, but it became it became just way too dangerous going there. Really, <laughs> in New York in the seventies There's
0: uh, <laughs> a lot
1: a lot of music,
0: a lot of drugs, then... a lot of crime.
1: Uh, it's just drugs, crime. Damn, getting killed going in these places. Wow! So I really enjoyed seeing these artists. You know, and Wilson Pickett was another one there. We were, my roommate and I were his personal photographers for a year. Damn! The Wicked Pickett, and then you got Central Park. It'd be BB B. B. King, Ike and Tina Turner, The Stones, Zeppelin. I mean, Jimi Hendrix at the Garden. I mean, man, they're Pretty amazing group,
0: and that's all the while you're you're kind of shooting that stuff and still kind of you're shooting at SI. At still that. covering sport, yes. Mm. So is this kind of. And amazing. I'm the
1: only person. I'm the only photographer at these events that had telephoto lenses because mm. no music people could afford those lenses. Oh, true. They're always close. so I could get away.
0: So, yeah, you kind of have you have a different look. It kind of sticks yeah, out. Yeah,
1: look. Yeah. Mm. So I enjoyed the concerts.
0: Mm. No, that's amazing. Cause like the photos of Aretha Franklin, I think you're even like in her dressing room, like before she's mm-hmm. getting ready. Um, yeah. Like in back Newark. back then, like was it this like easy to get access to these people, or was is was it a lot different uh, than nowadays covering a concert or a game, via, like credentials? Oh, like well, what what do you remember back then? Was it even a hassle? Oh. Well. You know, everything's a hassle now with yeah.
1: security. And certain artists
0: uh,
1: gave you a lot more leeway. Uh, that Arisa picture, which was backstage at Symphony Hall in Newark, New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, her husband was tough. He, he didn't particularly want me in there either. Mm-hmm. Uh, Temptations, they were a little testy also, too, at a, a concert in Newark.
0: Most um, of didn't, couldn't care less mm. no that's a, that's amazing to hear because like as you know nowadays it's like it's possible to get anywhere they throw the red tape at anything just because everyone has a digital camera nowadays and is kind of a photographer so it's kind of interesting to hear uh just kind of how it was back then um i love well, it <laughs> the
1: phone has changed the whole landscape of, yeah i mean of the, mankind
0: what do you think, because you're pretty active on Instagram, is like social media and that stuff, is it, what do you think about it? I'm always kind of curious people's take on it.
1: Well, uh, as someone who's <laughs> didn't grow up with a, a phone, I mean, it's an indispensable tune or a tool. It's a fantastic camera. You don't need a camera. What bugs me is how people live in a half reality all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see kids, I'm in Key Biscay in Florida for another week. These kids are on bikes, are on scooters, or on buses, are on golf carts. Wherever they are, they have a phone that they're using. So they're in complete touch, but they really never see anything that's happening while they're doing it.
0: I, I don't know. No, definitely people... It's a, it's
1: a, it's a, a phenomenal... It's one of the
0: great inventions in the history of mankind. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. It, I go back and forth on it. It is weird because like people are like in one sense they're more connected than they ever have been, but then they're more disconnected because you could be if you go to like a restaurant, you'll see people at dinner with their friends uh. or family and they're on their phones. So it's kind of a, uh. it's weird. Like on one sense, like I like the way I met like uh, Coach Kojiroquino and so many photographers is just through Instagram, which is great. But then on the other hand, I guess I guess it's just how people utilize it, you know.
1: Well, I mean, Instagram has been very success- successful for some people. I mean, they made a career. Definitely. Through that and a living, Chris Burkhardt started a great photographer through Instagram. Yep. I mean, there's some really talented people on Instagram, and there's a lot of uh, garbage. Definitely. Because um, that's, you know,
2: most yeah.
1: photographers aren't that good either, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Uh, no, that's, that's interesting. And, you know, looking at your work, I'm... I, Obviously, you you kind of started SI, you're shooting games and whatnot. And then eventually, like I was saying before, you shoot a lot of portraiture now and have for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Was that kind of like a conscious conscious shift in your work? Or when did you kind of start shooting more portraiture?
1: I I guess in the early 80s, I, I I received the best assignment in my life. From Fuji Film. Who you know, I had no idea who Fuji Film was, but the film was good, mm-hmm. and they gave me carte blanche for two and a half years to do whatever I liked, photographing the American athlete, training in the states, and then competing in the '84 Olympics. Wow! And that's when I started to do the action portrait, and I had complete control of the athletes in a sense. Like you know, we're going to do this. Let's do it at five o'clock in the afternoon. Let's do it here. So, you know, you're creating a picture. You're taking some of the great athletes at your disposal and posing them, basically doing what they do best. Mm. So I think that was a, a big change there. You know, the 70s it started to change too. The so, late Fu- 70s.
0: so Fuji, they were kind of using these photos for like advertising campaigns? Oh my something?
1: God. They used it at the museums. It was unbelievable. Mm. Two and a half years greatest project
0: I ever had. That's amazing. So it's kind of you. Kind of went from like a documentary, photojournalism in a sense, and then you're like taking pictures. But then with Fuji, it's more kind of like a, more of a production aspect and like kind of creating these photos. Um, yeah. Was that something that it took you a while to get used to, or
1: no? I mean, it's you know you you'd spend time with the athletes because you, you plus I. Money money was for, was like money for nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the budget was unlimited. You know, I could go back and forth to Mission Viejo, the swimming place with the divers and swimmers, you know, as long as I wanted. Mm-hmm. I go anywhere.
0: Is there, like, any shoot that kind of sticks out in, in your mind from that Fuji series that... Uh...
1: Yes. One in particular. Well, there's a lot of good ones. So at that point, and for years, the greatest diver in the world was Greg Luganus. Mm-hmm. You know, gold medal. Winner. So I went out there and shot at twilight and he was diving off a platform and they only, you know, you have to talk about this in advance because they can only do so many dives on a platform that, you know, kills their shoulders and their wrists. Mm-hmm. It's a long drop into the water. And I had one strobe and it was a slow shutter speed, maybe a eighth or 15th of a second and this blur took place between the twilight and the light illuminating the pool. He's coming down. And when I looked at the slide, I'm going to forget the slide on the light box. I flipped it up and it was like diving out of Dante's Inferno. Wow. And I said, this, I'll never take another picture like this as long as I live. (laughs) So I went back to Bishop Viejo again. And I said, Greg, take a look at this. I show him the print. He goes, "I'm bent," and he hands it back to me because <laughs> his body wasn't straight. So he see, he didn't see the picture. He only saw
0: his form. Yeah, I'm bent. Yes, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not perfect.
2: <laughs> what?
0: You're like shit, man. <laughs> uh, I thought it was perfect. Oh man, that that's pretty amazing. <laughs> And and that's and that's wild. You're shooting chrome, and uh, I think like maybe younger people listening to this like chrome. The the amount of air for shooting chrome, there's like no room for air, like in terms of exposure, and that's pretty amazing. You're shooting action. Well, it I'm didn't a, matter. Yeah. It didn't matter
2: because
1: you know you could. You were so good at this mm-hmm. shooting chromes. And at that point, I was shooting or which was a 50 film. And are Fuji one hundred, you know, you could bring it to a lab and you could run clip test. Yeah, take it off the front, and you know, say run it normal, mm. and uh, it's so dark you push the it will stop. Yeah, and, you, know, if you clip from the front and the back of the roll if you, you were know, nervous. But exposure was—I never really had problems with exposure.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know what?
1: You should know the exposure those days right out of your eyeball definitely because
0: you're shooting so much yeah Mm. automatic (laughs) yeah definitely um and you know one thing i kind of i'm always curious like talking to photographers um when you're shooting portraiture um did it kind of take you out to kind of find your like your i guess your photographic style your aesthetic was it like a conscious thing because the thing i've always Mm -hmm. enjoyed about your portraiture is it's very this like uh i don't know if classics or not but it's just like Straightforward, nice, light, good uh, composition. Um, did it kind of take you a while to find your voice? Was it even something you were conscious of? Were you thinking about it really? Well, I, you know,
1: when I was uh, in my teens and twenties, I don't, I don't think I really, I didn't even take portraits. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that evolved. You first, you have to have the assignment. You know, I didn't even take a picture of their their, their parents or a friend. Oh. Um, the first portrait I did for Sports Illustrated. I remember it distinctly because you know I had no lights. They sent me to Saddlebrook, New Jersey. i was still living in East Orange. God knows how I got there. Um, and it was a, a boxer, Reuben Hurricane Carter. Oh, wow. The famous Hurricane, Bob Dylan song. Yep. So I went down in the basement and this is where we're going to pose, and there was a bare bulb overhead, and there were two table lamps that I brought in on either side of them, and that's how I lit Hurricane Carter. Damn, yeah.
0: that's pretty amazing.
1: Patterson, New Jersey. From
0: yeah, just use what you got. That's right. Well, yes, you always do.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, every job you do. Something's going to happen that's never happened before. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer in that. Something
0: mm-hmm. unexpected is going to happen. It's just kind of rolling with those punches yeah. and trying yeah. to Yes, that's, that's it. Forget. You know You, you have an idea and it's not going to exist?
1: Forget it.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there any Is there any shoots that kind of stick out in your mind that, that kind of went off the rails or any like crazy stories where... Things just Mm. didn't work out as planned or uh, that were kind of difficult or anything like that?
1: Well, I can tell you one that just took place about a month ago. I went to Mexico City to photograph Lucha Libres, the the wrestlers that wear masks in Mexico City. And, you know, there's this famous arena in downtown Mexico City. And we have gone there the day before to scout it, and you know, there were these fabulous colored walls we wanted to use, but of course, you know, no, 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 no. And so when we arrived the day of, the lady that was helping said, I have bad news for you. And I said, oh, well, we're not going to get the Lucha Libris. She says, no, here's your space. And they brought us into a room. There couldn't have been more than five feet wide. The roof was like inside of an attic. See. I could it one tiny light in there. You know?
2: Yeah.
0: To make it work. They brought you to... <laughs> and a, we did. They brought you to a closet.
1: A, cl- a fucking closet. <laughs>
0: um, but and, but, I mean, you know, but it worked out. I yeah. saw you, so you had some cool portraits on your Instagram. Uh, this, Yeah, and, and,
1: and those were taken. That little white wall, which had you know, outlets on it, couldn't be more than four and a half, five feet wide. Mm. And it was just no space.
0: Yeah. And like, what's your, you know, you make it work. What's your approach to portraiture? Like in your mind, what makes a strong portrait? And like, how do you approach these shoots nowadays? Well,
1: uh, you know, eyes and eyes and light, you know, it's
0: it's always
1: about the light and the background. And, you know, and connecting, you know, with, the athlete somehow I have a saying, you know, the athlete will stand in front of you and like, you know, what are we going to do here? You're going to swing your golf club. And I say, look, we're going to start somewhere or we're going to end somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're that, When that end comes shoots over. Yeah. And you, know, you start, cause sometimes you just don't have a really good idea of what to do. And they're stuck in some mm-hmm. bad location. Yep. but you know that's why they hired you
0: and are you someone do you shoot a lot like if you're shooting a portrait, are you someone that shoots a lot or do you shoot a little and kind of get out and get out get out quick, or what's your kind of approach in terms of like shooting less less the better mhm less to store less to edit
1: and i don't need I don't know what to do with an hour with someone. <laughs> Give me 10, 15 minutes I can do it with a picture.
0: Mm, no, that's smart.
1: And a friend of mine once said, when you edit your, the job,
0: always edit it from the back.
1: Mm. Because when you stop, you've taken your best pictures.
0: True. That's good advice. And mm-hmm. what, do think, what do you think about your personality what is, what is it about you that you've, you've been able to like gain all these like uh, famous athletes trust, you know, cause like you photographed everyone for years. What do you think it is about athletes that they trust you and kind of has allowed you to photograph all these amazing, amazing athletes over the years?
1: Well, it's, you know, it's obviously more than one thing. I you know, obviously have a reputation in, in business and, um, they know I'm quick
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. you know all of you know, it, it's, it's all about time. And, uh, I think they trust what I'm going to do. Athletes need direction. Athletes are used to being coached. So when I come in, I'm in charge, mm-hmm. which is good. This is what they're used to. And we have a clock we're working on, you know, there's 10 minutes or I, I end early. Because you know this game, I'm going to beat you at your own game. I've got ten minutes. I'm done in nine. (laughs) See you next time, LeBron. Yeah,
0: yeah. I got Walter's got stuff to do. (laughs) He's he's got.
1: Yeah, I. I got to edit the five five pictures I just
0: took. No, (laughs) no. I I like no overtime
1: unless they want to stay. Yeah,
0: okay. And is there like do you have any tricks you use when dealing with like difficult subjects that people just aren't? There might be in a bad mood or just don't want to be there. How do you kind of deal with those situations? Uh, well,
1: you you somehow have to disarm them. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are many situations, you know, if I've got 10 minutes and it's a famous person, I'll blow three of it. You need to
0: have some sort of
1: communication before you start shooting. Whether you show pictures, what we're going to do, this is what I've done, you know,
0: yeah, you had an interesting shoot I read about with Johnny Menzel. Maybe you could t- talk about that. It sounded like he wasn't too game to be photographed, but you had an interesting no. way of kind of getting through it. Yeah, we're in
1: Cleveland. It was for the cover of Golf Digest.
2: And
1: he shows up with a few friends. And uh, he didn't look very happy. He sat down at a table near me. And I heard him whisper to his friends I could be out of here in two minutes. Damn. so I said alright I'd planned already so I put all my foot, all my football pictures on my website I said hey John Walter I'm your photographer I said I want to see your uh, football IQ and he looks at me like who the who's this ass <laughs> I said who's that he said it's Joe Montana right, and we start and then he got interested yeah Who's that? Oh, that's him. Oh. So, he was still sort of reluctant to do it, but in the end, he was fine. Mm. He's turned out to be a disaster. His career.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um have have you found that's a good thing to do with like subjects is kind of show them like reference photos beforehand? Is that something you do a lot with your portrait shoots? Is kind of show them stuff you've done before?
1: Mm. Yes, and yeah. Done many things. Uh, you know, Tiger, for instance. We had a shoot. We were sharing two photographers for Golf Digest outside of Orlando. I had seven and a half minutes in three stations to shoot at. And obviously, we rehearsed this the day before how we're going to shoot. So when they come in, Tiger and his his crew, everyone's in a hurry. Fifteen minutes. Tiger comes in, you know, we know each other. Hey, Tiger, how you doing? And I start to talk very slowly. Take, take, take a deep breath now. He's changing. I said, Tiger, you know, I, I want to show you what we're going to do here in the three sets. So come over to the computer, sits down. And the first picture is not our setup. It's a swimsuit model. That's Marissa Miller. Bingo. <laughs> I've got him.
0: <laughs> smile now <laughs> yeah see no that's that's, in-
1: that's that's that's
0: doing your job mm-hmm. no that's interesting and with a guy like tiger woods he's just such a like icon of sport um how's your experience been photographing him because like looking at him as a fan it seems like He's, he's pretty guarded and kind of closed off in a sense. Is he, is he a hard person to photograph or easy? Or what's your experience been with Tiger Woods?
1: Uh, it,
0: all my experience with Tiger has been
1: very good. He's uh, been easy to photograph. Mm-hmm. He's professional. He wants it done properly. Um, and he, he cares about doing things
0: properly. No, he's been good. No, that's awesome. He's just such an amazing uh, athlete. You think he's, he's got another major in him? What do you think?
1: If he doesn't win this one, he's got no chance.
0: Really? Yeah, that's what you think if he able to win this week, he's done. I spent. Uh, it's, it would be nice to see it mm-hmm. because he's you know, he's
1: one of the seminal athletes you know we'll ever see. He's played well again this year, but Augusta's Augusta
0: yeah for sure who knows
1: what's gonna happen down there it's pouring rain down there right now
0: yeah yeah well i was excited i'm glad we got to uh talk to you this week it's the master's week and you've been photographing golf for years i was kind of curious how you kind of got into photographing golf initially because looking at your site you photographed arnold palmer uh for years all the best golfers lee trevino tiger woods like we Mm -hmm. said um how did golf kind of come into the picture for you
1: Sports Illustrated gave me assignment. Mm-hmm. I'd never been to a golf tournament before. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's... the rules of, of golf always drove me crazy. You know, you can't go here, you can't do this, you can't that, you can't stand out here. Yep. You know, I'm a firm believer: to get one great picture, you move someplace, you get thrown out, you get thrown out, yeah. so you're going to have something. Yep. You throw me out. The problem is you can't get thrown out if you have a four day assignment.
0: Yeah. And I
1: was. Yeah. So they, they started sending me to the US Open in the sixties and I mean you followed Arnold Palmer and Jack and it was unbelievable.
0: What is it about <laughs> golf you like covering, you think? Well, back then it was Arnold Palmer, for
1: mm-hmm. sure. I mean, he was one of the most charismatic, charming people in the history of sport. Wow. Huh.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Like, uh, yeah, I think you. I saw a photo. You photographed Arnold Palmer with t- President Eisenhower. Yes, that was. Was that a, a, a uh, SI assignment? What was that? That, that was an SI assignment.
1: They sent me out to Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Once again, I have no idea how I got out there. I was <laughs> I guess I was driving. Yeah. Um, no, Ike showed up, and that was this picture of him and Ike, and then. I shot two rolls of film. And then Arnold led me into the dining area where the famous picture of Jack and Arnie sitting having lunch takes place. Yeah. And, you know, it's bad lighting. If there were two other people it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. But it's Jack and Arnie
0: what do you remember most about those days? Like, has the, how has the game changed from, from back then to now? Um, what are kind of some of your memories from shooting, like, back then with Arnold and kind of in the, the his heyday, you think?
1: Well, you could, you could see his face. You know, Arnold didn't wear a hat. Mm-hmm. He wore his, his heart on his tongue. Yep. He had his army, and he had the enemy, Jack. that Jack was a fantastic player, then Gary Player, but it was always Arnie. And then Lee, of course, was a a fabulous player and a a very funny man.
0: Yeah, some of the favorite photos on your site, Lee Trevino. (laughs) It's like Lee Trevino. My favorite photo is Lee Trevino in a hotel bed. He's on the phone, and he's got his golf clubs there. Um, Were you this kind of like basically this following these guys around or is it more of these kind of built a relationship with these guys and you're kind of hanging out like how do those moments kind of come well that
1: that picture was an assignment by sports illustrated mm-hmm. and I had a very good relationship with leecher you yep. know um so he was in some motel in Florida somewhere and I went up to his room and he, he didn't seem so happy you know the very Max wasn't that happy that night he had a glass on the floor Mm-hmm. where he practices putting and you know you, you, that, that showed the other side of, of being on the road
2: yeah
1: a lot of loneliness on the road mm-hmm. yeah. and, and, and you know if you're not playing well you know you can't be that merry all the time
0: Yep, yeah. no
1: it's, it just doesn't
0: happen and do you do you have a favorite moment from covering like Arnold Palmer? I know you photographed him from way back then. You you've done shoots with him almost all the way up until he passed. I know you did a shoot with him yeah. and Kate Upton. Um, but do you have a favorite oh, moment, moment from from photographing Arnold? No, I'm going to tell you my favorite moment with Arnold,
1: and it was it was that Kate Upton shoot, but not the Kate Upton moment itself. Mm-hmm. The photograph of Arnie and Jack table I gave one to Arnie one to Jack and I had one signed by each of them yeah and when I went to his clubhouse in Latrobe from the main lobby downstairs into the tiny area Mm -hmm. he had the picture framed on the staircase
0: wow that meant a lot yeah that's pretty that's pretty powerful Mm mm-hmm and uh you know we're we're in the masters week here it's starting on thursday i was kind of curious like do you remember the first time you covered the masters and what makes that tournament so unique you think
1: i tell you what makes it unique it's photography you can't get close to anything yeah because they don't I have my like covering the Masters. no There's i no... didn't like covering the Masters. no you didn't like it no 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 i, don't, I like the whole scene down there yeah yeah too many rules you can't get close. Mm-hmm. There's no food.
0: <laughs> you don't like you don't like the pimento cheese sandwiches, Walter.
1: Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> it's the, the worst Japanese restaurant in America down there. Yeah, it's that Mexican place? Yeah, I went down there with my son one year when he was a picture at our Golf Digest. We did a shoot. That was that was that was fun. And I played it last year. I was invited.
0: Wow!
1: By a member.
0: How, how Flew do, down on a, a private
1: jet. How'd you I shoot? Shot a 92.
0: 92?
1: It pretty damn good with a triple bogey.
0: Hell yeah. I'll take it. Under 100? I, I was I was in the twilight zone once we got going there. <laughs> you, know, just,
1: you could shoot 120 on that place in a heartbeat.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you never
1: played it before. Mm-hmm. And all you think about it is those greens. Jesus. Yeah. It's like rolling a ball on the hood of a car. <laughs> That was very special to play it there.
0: No, that's amazing. Not, not many and people, I look forward to
1: watching him this week.
0: Yeah, not mean, people get the chance to play uh, Augustus. So that's pretty amazing. No. And, uh, you know, I was reading, there, you had another interesting shoot with Jordan Speeth where I believe he almost, he almost killed you. Uh, it, was, it was close. <laughs> what was that all about? Well, we were, of uh,
1: course, he's a member called Trinity outside of Dallas. small room. You always had in a small space, a photographer. I mean, it was like a, like a little handball room, but it was a hitting bay for the golfers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, between one wall and the other wall, it was maybe 12 feet, but now I have a player myself and a light in that space that becomes extremely small. And he was hitting plastic balls. Let me tell you, plastic balls at four feet can be very dangerous. Heck yeah. So, it missed my head. and stuck into the wall like a bullet. <laughs> Jesus
0: Christ. <laughs> like,
1: Jesus.
2: No. Damn, that's,
0: that's, no, that's a, that's a tough around. one. That's a tough one. But you, you dodged, uh, you dodged it and got the photo. I, dodged another bullet yeah definitely and um you know i was really excited to talk to you about you're really well known for photographing michael jordan um you published Mm -hmm. i think a couple books with him i was kind of curious how that kind of relationship came together when do you remember first photographing him and um because the thing amazing thing about your photos um it's not just the action it's like the portraits he was really like this kind of documenting his off-court life like how did that kind of relationship come together for you
1: well, I met him initially in 87 on a Sports Illustrated job, and I, I took arguably one of the best pictures I've ever taken, the blue dunk. Mm-hmm. In 1988, I took the slam dunk picture of him. And, you know, and well, then we started doing... We, we really hadn't connected that much then, but, you know, I started getting jobs from advertising and Sports Illustrated. So I continued on. In 1992... It was a bad year financially. as a photographer, you know, things weren't happening. I said, I've got to get it. I got to think of simply mm-hmm. I mean. And I always remember this book on Elvis Presley, Wertheimer did in '56. You know that face at the peak of his career, Elvis. I said, "I should do Michael Jordan. It's the peak of his career." So, unannounced, I had a job. I flew to Chicago and waited after the game like a dog. (laughs) (laughs) When he finished, you know, doing all those interviews, he said, Walter, what are you doing here? I said, I've got an idea. He says, your ideas usually mean work. So I, I spilled the story. Here we go. You're at the peak of your career. You have your kids, your MVP, your champion, everything. And I showed him the Elvis book. I said, "We could do this with you, and this would be your family album for eternity."
2: So
1: I like that. Let me think about it. And so I'll, I'll let you know in a week. And I was coming back through Los Angeles, and that's where I met him. Mm.
2: You
1: know, a week later, that's. Amazing. And I said, "What do you think?" He says, "I like it. Let's do it." And we shook hands, and we started doing this book. No money, no publisher. Because I like the way you make me look. Look at that defense. And then, of course, traveling with Michael. was like uh, when we did the book in 93. It's like traveling with a, a biblical figure. You know, anything goes. All you have to say is, I'm with Michael. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> you want to do anything?
0: I'm with Michael. Yeah, he's the most famous guy on the planet at that point. I mean, he he's... was the Yeah, and then we...
1: Michael brought in a writer named Mark Vansel from Chicago. He said, we have a partner now. And he came up, Vansel, with the name Rare Air. We still couldn't sell. Mm. And at the very end of the publishing era, a a window where you can get a book published for Christmas, we flew to San Francisco. Vansel and I presented to HarperCollins and a, a crew of editors that we walked out of there, there's no chance that they're going to buy this book.
2: Mm.
1: And they bought it, and it was published, and no one cared. And then Michael's father was murdered. Yep. And then Michael Jordan retired, and this all took place in December. And the book went from the basement to the front of every window, and number one in the New York Times bestseller list. Damn,
0: that's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. How's that?
0: Yeah seriously and with with all those photos in rare air were, were the photos you shooting were they all just for that book or were they being used for like si at the same time or was it all you were saving all those photos for the book you were shooting during that time period
1: they were solely for the project for air mm-hmm. uh, some of the playoff games i did the action i did uh in conjunction with sports illustrated because i could bring strokes and which they would pay for yeah but everything off the court was for that alone.
0: And was it, did you have like a goal in mind for when you started that book? Like, was it, or is it basically just trying to capture everything or what was, do you remember your kind of goal initially when you kind of started working on that?
1: Well, we, we spoke about, you know, days him, the kids, the family, you mm-hmm. know, obviously I didn't know he was going to win the NBA championship. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, all that. You know, it was fortuitous for us. And what, I spent a lot of money yeah. on that book, and there was no puzzle.
0: Yeah, a lot of money in Chicago. Yeah, and what what made that guy so interesting? Like Michael Jordan, one of the greatest athletes of all time. Like, what do you remember most about like his personality? Working with him, like, what made that guy so above and beyond, better than everyone else? You think? Yeah, he, you know, he had.
1: Such personality, looks, drive, you know, athletic talent. I mean, he was uh, one of a kind. Mm-hmm. There's, there's never going to be another Michael Jordan. LeBron is not Michael Jordan. He's a great, great, great player. And you can't compare errors. Yep. But he's such a beautiful player and so driven. Yeah. You know, great athletes are assassins. Yep. They come to beat you bad. They never want to lose any game. And, you know, if you think of the great athletes, that's how they play. Kobe, how they dig. Never want to lose any game of any sort.
0: Yeah, it could be ping pong. They don't want to lose.
1: No, no, they don't want to lose. <laughs> and then they gamble on everything. So it makes the stakes even higher. Yeah. <laughs> of course, the more money... Uh, the more you can gamble. They gamble. Athletes gamble all the time.
2: Mm-hmm. Hobby baseball.
1: Yeah. What do you do on planes? Mm-hmm. Buses. Play cards. You gamble. Do you Keep have a, the pressure up.
0: Do you have a favorite moment from working on that book? Maybe a photo or a story from Jordan that kind of sticks out when you look back at that, that um, work?
1: Well, the cover is a really unique cover. Uh, the hotel I stayed at in Chicago, the Ritz Carlton, had a, a hooded bathrobe, a white terry cloth bathrobe. And one afternoon while I was in Chicago, there was a newsstand down the street from the Ritz. And there was a cover portrait on a photo magazine of, of someone that looked like he was Somalian in a hooded robe. Mm-hmm. I said, Wow, look at that. So Michael was going, they're going to go play in Miami. I said, Michael, I'm going to bring this hooded robe. Look at this. Well, that's a stupid idea. <laughs> so I went to the pool at the Mayfair Hotel in Coconut Grove where they stayed. And it happened to have that, that terracotta wall. Yep. No, I didn't know this. So we went up there with the robe before he took off for of the game. I had the lifeguard holding an umbrella over his head. Five minutes later, on negative color, it was over. Yeah.
0: that's amazing that's awesome and um, you know some of the photos I really enjoyed you did uh, you did a really amazing portrait of Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier which I believe you shot on 20 by 24 Polaroid if I'm correct
1: you are correct sir
0: what what was it like working with that I've never even seen it I think there's only like a few in the country Um, first off I mean obviously what was your experience working with Ali and I think you photographed him a few times And what what kind of drew you to that camera? Because there's nothing else like it.
1: Well, I'd I'd done a lot of jobs on the twenty by twenty-four in in the New York studio. I had this family portraits. uh, I just did a a lot of things with it, and you know, athletes. And there was something that was there was no camera. Once you would you you didn't operate the camera. Operators, yeah. That operators. It was like moving a truck around,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they would frame it and you'd look in the glass in the back. And you know, okay, move it a little here, and then you take a Polaroid. You could take two at once. You know, focus was you know you can't move. You put them on a table, and you peel off the front, and then you put them on a wall, and this bigger than life portrait would take place. Yeah. And I've seen people cry. You know, I shot some family, friends there. I mean, there was no camera that was more heart-rendering than that 20 by foot polar camera.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's pretty amazing. And
1: then we went to uh, to Philly at Joe's gym, Joe Frazier's gym. I love Joe Frazier. To do Ali and Frazier. And... Frazier wouldn't go to Ali. He was still upset about what Ali had said to him mm-hmm. and about him. Yeah. So Ali had to come to Joe's gym in Philly. And to make a long story short, Sports Illustrated wanted, you know, you know fun pictures, punching, laughing, all color. And at the very end, I went to the sepia Polaroid. Mm-hmm. And I said, guys, no smiles, just stand there. Yeah. And then we had them all on the wall, and, and Joe Frazier, Frazier's family was there, and Mrs. Ali was there. And I said, which one do you like best? And they all went, the two, of them, the two old broken warriors, and that was the picture.
0: Yeah, it's pretty powerful. And like you said, like Joe Frazier um, wouldn't go to Ali. when no. it, When Ali showed up, was it, was, there like, was it a tent shoot, or how did it kind of unfold? No. No, no, uh, no it
1: wasn't tense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ali came in did his magic tricks yeah you know he's he's like uh, wheeling a Buddha around at that point Mm -hmm. he he really never said anything after he he knew what I wanted but he he couldn't verbalize
0: yeah
1: and uh, you know it's one of these moments that you'll never have as long as you live again
0: no definitely not did did you ever photograph Ali any of his fights
1: uh two fights wow one 65 in Las Vegas and one in 67 against Ernie Terrell in the Houston Astros. Wow.
0: Yeah, Ali in his heyday. He, there's no personality like that guy.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: No, <laughs> I
1: really have known him in his, his heyday. I would have liked to.
0: Yeah, yeah. He was. He sounded pretty interesting. Just reading about him and whatnot. And, uh, you know, with the 20 by 24 Polaroid, is film, do do you miss film? Was, like, the transition from uh, film to digital, was that a tough one Um, from spending years shooting film? What's your take on it these days?
1: Uh, The transition was very difficult for me
0: because
1: I I had, you know, complete control of the film. The transition took place when I was doing negative color. Yeah. You know, all of the Fuji made color. It was so great. And you had such leeway on exposure. And, uh, and it was difficult because this was uh, something I really didn't understand. And I couldn't control temperature. I don't know. It was, it was very difficult. It took a, a little while to get used to it. Mm-hmm. You
0: know what? I wouldn't go back to film for anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is funny. Like looking at it back now, it's like digital is so good, and it's just like so the workflow is so easy and quick. Like the the thought of like doing clip tests and dropping off film is just seems pretty crazy nowadays. You know.
1: Well, now there's some people who you know think so. You know, let them do it. Let them do
0: what they want.
1: Mm-hmm. Why shoot film? I go she film. Yep. Yeah. It's get not- a process. Get the contact sheets, then
0: scan them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a lot of work. You got to store them. Uh, yeah. Um, no, definitely. And also, I was interested. In, a few more questions. I'll let you go. Um, you know, looking at your work, you spent I think like almost forty years shooting the SI Swimsuit Edition. Uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: How did? Obviously, you're shooting sports. Was that like a? Was that like a weird transition going from like shooting athletes to shooting like kind of like fashion models in a sense was it was do you, what do you remember most about some of those early s i swim shoot uh, shoots you did
1: well, it was a, it was a big change yeah. you know one of the things I remember is the hours you know I used to go to bed like four in the morning that's good you'd be getting up at four what were getting up at what
2: mm-hmm.
1: five a m <laughs> You know, it was, uh, it was, once again, you know, it, it, photographs are photographs, whether you're shooting an athlete. People have asked me, is it easier shooting a player or a model? Well, models are hired to pose, so they're very good at posing. Mm-hmm. So that helps. Uh, but, you know, it still comes down to light and everything I've spoken about regarding you know, dealing with people and, Shoot early, shoot late.
0: Yeah, and do you have like That's a, a favorite? Light. Do you have a favorite moment from shooting SI over the years? Maybe a location or a model you worked uh, with, one that kind of just, kind of sticks out in your mind.
1: Wow, well, <laughs> there are a lot of a lot of good ones. Uh, well, one of the most unusual places we went. This was a long time ago, were the Seychelles, nineteen seventy eight, with Christy Brinkley and. I mean, the pictures of Christie at the Seychelles, and there's no place like that, you know, I'll, I'll ever visit again. Mm. And it was so remote, literally, perfectly halfway around the world from New York, Damn. on a globe. No, well, There are a lot of good moments, but the Seychelles stand out.
0: That's amazing! Yeah, you guys traveled everywhere for those things. Um, did you? Sh- are you still shooting the swimsuit edition uh, these days, or when was the last time you shot?
1: Mm-hmm. No, no more swimsuit for me. Okay, uh, I don't know when I last shot. Uh, yeah, five years ago or something.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's cool. And you know, I was talking to my friend I th- uh, before I told him I was going to interview you, and uh, he wanted me to ask you. He's like, "What do you think about like photography these days?" and do you still think it's like a viable career path these days with uh, it's so oversaturated, so many photographers, what do you think about it these days? Is it still a viable career path do you think?
1: Well, it's, uh, I don't know, to be honest with you, there's always room for good photography somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's just fewer and fewer places you can get a job doing it. Yep. I mean, Publishing industry is not good. Yep. So to be seen, you need to be published. Yep. You know, obviously, there, there's online advertising. You know, I mean, there's always a need for a good photographer. It's just you know, there's less money being paid to them. Mm. There's less budgets. Everything is substantially shrunken. Mm. So I don't know. I wouldn't recommend it to my grandson.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tough one. I like even like the sports thing, like I talk, like being a sports photographer. It seems like it's like a game photographer is almost like dead in a sense. Like I saw the NFL now is basically if you're like a fan, they have this program where you can sign up and they give you credentials and they basically pay you like 50 bucks or 100 bucks to shoot yeah, the yeah. game so it's like how, how do these real photographers like no you can't i made a hundred dollars in
1: 1961 yeah at my day rate for mm. sports illustrated yep no and by the way how do you buy these long lenses to shoot those games
0: yeah it's like eight thousand dollars ten thousand by... bucks <laughs> yeah it's crazy
1: so it's it's mm-hmm. it's a real issue yeah and you know it's i'm lucky i i work when i did.
0: Yeah, definitely. It is interesting. And I saw even your photor- uh, Your son is a really amazing photographer. I was looking at his Instagram last night shooting for yeah, Vogue. Yeah, Bjorn, yes. Yeah, Vogue and all these amazing models and things he's doing. Um, did you kind of give him a lot of advice coming up shooting photos? Or um, do you guys talk about his work a lot these days?
1: Well, he's seen a lot. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean it's not like I gave him a lot of advice. He just learned it, you know growing up Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, we talk
0: yeah yeah he had amazing work as he's kind of has his own voice like he's just seems like mm -hmm. like, really good yeah it's amazing work Uh, i really enjoyed it Um, don't be a sports photographer (laughs) (laughs) uh i guess just to wrap up here you know you've been a photographer for a long time accomplished a lot um, I guess looking back on everything you've done, like what do you what do you think you're most proud of that you've you've accomplished? Do you think?
1: Uh, well, having the grandkids.
0: Yeah, real real life having st- a family, real in, in the real in the real big picture. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, because you travel so much, you realize you know your family is your most valuable asset
0: Mm -hmm. Um, yeah definitely the important the important important stuff and uh anything you still anything still on your bucket list to shoot anything you kind of got on uh the pipeline or you still want to shoot
1: yeah i always wanted to shoot roger federer but i've never been able to get to him or get an assignment so yeah it's one of those
0: uh, interesting well it may never happen no we're this is gonna happen walter i'm gonna put this podcast out and we're gonna put we're gonna put it out there in the in the ether man we'll, we'll get this i've <laughs> <one. laughs>
1: uh, tried believe me it just didn't work
0: interesting um mm. well anyways walter man i, I just want to thank you so much uh like uh, no bullshit when i started this podcast you were one of the top guys i wanted to interview interview uh i've been a fan of your work for years so I, I i really can't thank you enough for taking time to do this
1: I enjoyed it, and thank you, Alex.
0: And uh, for people listening, if they want to check out your work, uh, where's the best place to check you out? I think we got your website and Instagram.
1: WalterYost.com.
0: And then you're on Instagram. I-O-O-S. Instagram, too, Walter Yost. Yes. Perfect. I'll link it, and uh, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, I actually want to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PickDrop. It's a really great image transfer tool for when you need to send out those files to your clients you're working with. You can create private galleries, different folders for whatever various assignments you're working on. And your clients can actually write notes on the photos and rate them. Um, so for me, it's just kind of helped me keep all my photos organized in one spot and just kind of streamline my workflow For years, I was using like WeTransfer and Dropbox, but with PicDrop, it's actually designed by a photographer, so they really understand what photographers need, and I can't say enough about it, and with today's podcast, if you use the promo code PHOTOBANTER, you're going to get three months free when you sign up at PicDrop.com. So definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think, and remember to enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER, and you'll get three months free when you sign up at PicDrop.com. And also, just got to give a big thank you to our guest, Walter Yost Jr. Um, Walter's one of my all-time favorite photographers and was, like, uh, on my bucket list to get him on the podcast. So I can't thank Walter enough. Um, so many iconic photos he's taken over the years. Um, so definitely go check out Walter's website at WalterYost.com, as well as his Instagram, at Walter Lots of amazing work up there. And also, a big thank you to photographer Kojiro Kino, who helped line this interview up. I can't thank him enough. Go check out his work as well at Kojirokino.com. Lots of amazing photography up there on his site. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes as well as Spotify and also on my website, alexganyephoto.com, and on my Instagram, at alexganyephoto. Thanks so much for listening, and take care.